0: Welcome to episode nine of the Data Canteen, a podcast focused on the care and feeding of data scientists and machine learning engineers who share the common bond of U.S. military service. I'm your host, Ted Hallam. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Chris Smith. Chris is prior service Army and a fellow member of the Veterans and Data Science and Machine Learning community. Prior to his current role as Associate Professor for Wake Forest University's Master of Science and Business Analytics program, Chris served on faculty at other distinguished institutions like West Point and the Air Force Institute of Technology. Today, we talk about Chris's own journey from military service to data science. Why his program values US military veterans in the classroom, who's a good fit for his program, eligibility requirements, the curriculum, and common career outcomes. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Chris, thank you again so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to hear about Wake Forest MSBA program And I wanna hear about it from the very beginning. Can you just take us to the start of how Wake Forest kicked off the MSBA program?
1: Wake Forest realized that analytics was a player as time uh, has come. They had always been in the Masters uh, of Business Administration MBA program. They have Masters of Accounting, Masters of Finance, and Masters of Management. But they didn't have anything in the business analytics spot. So about uh, four years ago, they did a search and found Dr. Jeffrey Cam, who was the department head of the business analytics department up in college in Ohio and offered him a position down here to create both an online and an on-ground, MSBA program. And he sat there and did it correction. I think he was hired like six years ago, but they actually got the thing up and running. It's about been about four years. So he used the main person that got this program up and running at Wake.
0: That's awesome. So if I understand correctly, that means that this MSBA program at Wake Forest was not like some other program that just got minor tweaks and then rebranded as the MSBA. This was built new from the ground up.
1: Correct. This is That's uh, awesome. a total creation of what should an MSBA program look and smell like, especially with the Wake Forest feel.
0: Sure. Well, of course, as you know, this is the data canteen, and it's geared towards the veterans and data science and machine learning community. So I'm curious to know, when it comes to veterans specifically, why should veterans seek out the MS- MSBA program there at Wake Forest? Because I'm constantly ter- telling our audience Go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated, because you're going to have a much better experience when you go someplace where you're a natural fit. So what makes veterans a natural fit there?
1: So in my opinion, I think most veterans are kind of more outcome oriented. And, uh, you know, some people have a fear of math or analytics, but if you can get over that anxiety, this program is very outcome oriented. We're focused on, yeah, we're going to teach you the analytics. We're going to teach you the algorithms. We're going to teach you R and Excel. But what we really do is we focus on why you're doing it. So we focus on an outcome base. So talking to the client and figuring out what they want and how to how to frame your analytic problem that you're actually working on. Uh, and then at the back end, how do you talk to your sponsor or client? and explain to them the results of what you're doing, what you've done and how this affects them.
0: So I, I like one thing you mentioned uh, about people getting over that fear of the advanced mathematics. I know that's something I had to do. I've got a mentee right now who's preparing for grad school and he's had to work through that. How common would you say that is in students to come to your MSBA? And you know, could you re- reassure our audience in any way that 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 is something that they can work through. Not everybody has to have a bachelor's degree in physics or whatever to take this route.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have a wide variety of different degrees that come to the MSBA program. I think there's like a 37 different majors that all come in and not all of them are technical. So those are undergrad majors. We start off the program with a Probability and statistics class that's given using Excel to kind of get your feet on the ground and to get you start thinking quantitatively and really start understanding probability because it's one of those things you'll use for the entire program. But it, the the program, like any master's program, kind of takes off like a scalded dog. But it 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 has an understanding that not everybody is. At the same quantitative level and we make an effort to kind of homogenize everybody to kind of get them all okay at the very base level of understanding before the the analytic stuff really kicks off
0: so one thing i would want to mention is you're part of our veterans and data science machine learning community you're an army veteran you have a very interesting data science journey of your own that has brought you up to this point in serving as a key faculty member there in the MSBA at Wake Forest. We'd love to hear that whole story. If you can take us back to you, tell us a little bit about where you're from, whether or not you were in, you were interested in STEM stuff when you were a kid, and then how you progressed from college in the military to your current role.
1: Okay. So
2: I grew up around Silver Spring, Maryland, and...
1: I I, frankly, I failed trigonometry when I was in high school. There was no way that I'd never even heard of West Point. So I had no way I could ever apply to West Point or whatever, but I couldn't get in. My grades weren't good enough. So I enlisted in the Army. And while I was there, I found out about the West Point Prep School that at the time was in Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. So I applied to that, got accepted, went through that program. And that's where I started finding a real interest in math science kind of analytics sort of thing and then ended up going to west point and graduating with a undergrad in systems engineering but the thing that i left west point with was a drive for i wanted i had some great uh professors at west point some ones who really kind of shaped uh, helped me to shape who i wanted to be in the future and so one of my career goals was to try to return and offer that sort of leadership, a teaching role model to other cadets. So I, when I had the opportunity, I applied to go uh, teach at West Point and was accepted. So they sent me to a master's program and then I came back and taught at West Point for a couple of years. And after that, I really started getting the bug and applied to a PhD program. So they sent me to university of Virginia and. I did my PhD in systems engineering there, and then I did a, an assignment that had, I was a center director for an operations research program. So operations research is essentially analytics, just another name for it. So we did operations research or analytics projects for the army. And then I ended up teaching in the graduate school, the air forces graduate school operations research.
2: And then recently cool.
1: retired, decided that's what I kind of wanted to do when I grew up. So I looked around for places that I could teach and Wake Forest was a very kind of home feel. A lot of their, they, they focus on the whole student. It's not just, let me get you this education. It's, let me get you this education, but oh, by the way, we want you to be someone who's ethical, someone who's a leader those sorts of things. So it really resonated with me.
0: I love your path because it's so, the more I talk to veterans who have made the transition to data science and machine learning or analytics, you would think that the typical story of somebody getting into these fields would be, well, I was super into STEM as a kid. And then I did all the AP courses that I could possibly do in math. And then I went on to get a bachelor's degree in mathematics or physics. And then, you know, maybe I got a quantitative master's degree even, but that was pre 2010. And then as soon as data science became a thing, then I went the route of data science, but it's so much more common. And, and I, I feel like some people let that hold them back because they feel like they don't have the right background. And the, one of the things that I really want people who stumble upon this podcast to realize is there is no right background. This is a new field. I had a previous guest on this show say that every company is an analytics company, a data company. Some just don't know it yet. So what that means is, is that people of the future, it doesn't matter what stripe of the business you come from, you're going to have to know the data piece. It's going to become a part of everyone's reality to know how to do the quantitative data part, because that's just going to be a reality of almost every company. And so I don't think it makes sense to think of a particular pigeonhole background and say, well, you have to come from a background like that to get into analytics, data science, and machine learning. That's just not true. And when I look at your background, you started out as an MP, then you were an artillery officer, you know, and then this, there was this slow progression, you know, then you got into you were operations research systems analyst, which is, you know, you said operations research is much more like analytics. And then, you know, here you are today a key faculty member in a analytics degree program at the graduate level. So I think that's a fantastic background. I hope people in our audience who are infantrymen, artillerymen, whatever, will hold you up as a template and be inspired and and say, well, maybe I didn't think I could do this before this episode, but Chris did it and Chris is killing it. And so I think I can do it. That's what I hope people get out of this.
1: Yeah, so the, the thing, I, I mean, I appreciate uh, your words, and I think that would be awesome because I think you're absolutely right. The thing that along my path is, it was never the math that really interested me. The math was kind of a side product. It was, wow, you mean I can really look at, explore, and solve all sorts of these really like not easy problems? That's cool. That's the thing that got me. The math was kind of right. just the, re- the it's way. It's the I had end. To learn- to do it, but I wanted to be able to solve problems. I wanted to be able to better understand how to do things more efficiently or better.
0: Right. It's not the end. It's a tool. It's a means to an end. Yep. Well, for most of us, for some, yeah. for some people, the study of mathematics is the mean, end. But yeah,
1: to each their own. <laughs> yeah. But but it doesn't have to be. But that's that's why. So I teach. I've taught college algebra online for a different school for like six, seven years, and it's it's from a a veteran focused uh, school and and I always get people who are like you know the first forum post is like uh, watch this video and it talks about people who like hate math and like you know smashing their head against the computer and you know all this kind of stuff so people people really look at this like with anxiety I mean math anxiety is an actual thing that people look at they're like oh my gosh it just I start getting hives but the thing is I mean that's not the thing that, you know, that everybody who does analytics has to love math. It's, you have to put up with it in order to be able to really add value and answer a problem.
0: For sure. Well, Chris, for people, for our listeners who are at the point in their journey where they want to take it to the next level, they're looking at graduate programs. I want to kind of approach your program in the same process that I think they would. And so the very first thing is to look at the prerequisites that are required because you obviously have to meet the prerequisites in order to get into the program. So if you could give us a rundown real quickly of what's required from a prerequisite standpoint to get into Wake Forest's MSBA.
1: Okay. So as far as the prerequisites, so let me, let me just give you the averages. So on average, uh, a GPA for undergrad is about 3.4 average GRE is about 315.
2: Average GMAT is uh, 663. But as far as, as far as
1: floors, you know, I don't, I don't know that we really have floors. We like to look at the whole candidate and just see, you know, who's out there and uh, who we can bring in. So, I mean, our, our, our program is all about I mean, diversity, we, we want to try to include some diverse populations. We got about 37% female, which is really high, 14% underrepresented groups, the minorities, we tend to have a lower population of, of international students. I know it's one of the things about, MSBA programs is it tends to really attract a lot of international students and we purposefully hold our percentage lower to kind of leave room for
2: the non-international students.
1: So we have been keeping it about 50% international, which I think other programs are closer to 70, 75%.
0: Now, i know certain i know some programs have certain mathematic course pr- prerequisites or programming course prerequisites does uh the msba there at wake forest have any of those
1: so i think most anything i think they, they want you to have like a college algebra but the first course like in, in the first sequence when you when you join in the summer is probability and statistics so okay. uh, that's one of the kind of fundamental courses that you're going to need throughout the rest so I think largely if you don't know how to code and if you're not that strong in probability and statistics, if you wanted to take, as I think we were talking previously, or we'd, we'd seen some of the pre-talk prep. If someone wanted to take a Coursera course in probability and statistics, that would be probably something to do to get a little bit of the leg up and better understand what you're getting yourself into. But I don't think you need to, So as far as okay. prerequisites, it's a uh, college degree and, you know, close to our averages of that I just mentioned.
0: Okay. Now, as far and, as know, that, know. as far as that algebra course, if a student didn't have that, obviously they could like go to a community college and take an algebra course. But if they didn't want to go that route, could they, could they get a waiver to do an algebra Coursera course, or could they tack an, an algebra course onto the MSBA there at Wake Forest to meet that requirement? Like at the beginning? So that's
1: a good question. I think that they would have to do that a case-by-case basis. Okay. Because I think it would also depend on what the whole candidate's like. So if this is the only thing the candidate's missing, but yet when you look at the whole candidate, they got a lot of other things going for them, then they might be willing to work with them and try to make things work. But I think college algebra is one of those ones that you really, you're going to need that before you actually to the program in order to be successful because you know if you don't if you're not as familiar with building a mathematical equation like x equals whatever you're probably going to struggle
0: sure sure now the before we move on past prerequisites the last thing i want to ask about is i know i've talked from talking to the population of people that are in the veterans and data science machine learning community some people have anxiety about doing the gmat of the gre Obviously, you know, if they're in that camp, they haven't done the, the the test yet. So if a student wanted to get a waiver because they have anxiety about it, are there options to, I, I've heard of some schools having like an in-house test that students can take, or if they've got a certain GPA in their last three quantitative classes or something like that, they can get a waiver. Are there any waiver options like that at Wake Forest for these tests? So not
1: formalized, but one of the things that we've learned with with COVID is it's really hard to do standardized tests, both SATs, Mm. but also GREs, GMATs, things like that. So, I mean, if there were issues where, you know, due to COVID, it was difficult to do one of the standardized tests, we may be able to kind of work something out. But then again, I think that would also be kind of case by case. So I don't think there's anything formalized right now.
0: Okay. Now, with the the thing about podcasts is they go out there and then they kind of hang around, and people find them sometimes two or three years later. So, once COVID is starting to disappear in the rearview mirror, which is I know is going to take a long time for that to <laughs> migrate out of our consciousness, but um, assuming folks come across this episode once that's you know no longer a big issue, how would that change your answer about the the w- potential waiver for these the standardized tests?
1: Well, I guess just just like with anything, I, I don't think there's a plan to create a formalized process for not having a standardized test uh, because it's just one of those things that schools use to help delineate candidates and to better understand candidates. But I think if, if Wake is a school that's interesting to you, it would be worth going ahead and talking to one of the admissions people and just seeing and just saying, hey, listen, here's my situation. What do I need to do? Because I think that if nothing else, we have great personalities at Wake. A lot of our uh, staff members are just great people and they're not, we're not all about just getting people in the program just to get them in the program. We want to get people who, who will be successful in the program. And if, and if you're not someone who would be successful in this program, they're going to tell you, they're going to say, Hey, listen, this is what you would need to do or they'll tell you how you could get to be successful by coming into the program
0: so if someone is looking at themselves and looking at the requirements like wow i'm pretty good on this requirement i'm good on that requirement and i just haven't done the standardized test they shouldn't necessarily let that hold them back they should still yes. at least have a conversation with an admissions counselor and find out they, just, they ought not assume that that's a guaranteed roadblock for them
1: and just like anything in the military i mean you 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 use your own initiative and go ahead and don't let something hold you back just because you, you, you're not sure.
0: Just try sure. and call. Okay. So proceeding on from the prerequisites, the next thing that I want to take a strong look at is the curriculum. And so we'll look at that from three vantage points, but I know from talking to you, you have some pretty cool slides that we should throw up here at this point.
1: Okay. So let me go ahead and, and share these. Can you see the slides? I can. Yep. So we started, I I mentioned Jeff Cam came to Wake Forest and then was told, Hey, build an online or an on-ground MSBA program. So one of the things he did was he started looking at what are the industry needs, because I think this is really important to know when looking at our program and
2: so this is some of the stuff that he found. So first of all. What he did is he took a look at, he scraped a whole bunch of job or job postings for analytics
1: jobs. And he did a little bit of text mining to find what are the most common, uh, terms used and by far, some of the most common terms are communication, interpersonal skills, managerial skills, uh, things like that. So you see those soft skills up at the top, and then about midways, you see modeling and analysis, programming, those sorts of things. So, so that's going to be really fundamental in the shaping of this course.
2: When you look at some
1: interesting jobs out there, what we find is that there's a lot of data science analytics jobs out there and heck industrial engineers could kind of be lumped under there as well. So what kind of tools does the industry need? Uh, So this is uh, one of the things that, again, in looking at those job descriptions, they found or job postings, machine learning, optimization, predictive modeling, forecasting. When you look at analytics or data science, you see over the number of years, it is growing. So while data science isn't necessarily growing analytics in general is growing there's a lot of jobs out there that are highlighting keywords of analytics and then jobs on linkedin just by the number so statistics data science or analytics so analytics is a key thing that's that's coming up so to go over those uh, those are fundamental in understanding how the program was shaped yes we teach the schools, the the tools of statistics,
2: data mining, forecasting,
1: things like that. But we also are heavily focused on the client and some of those soft skills that you need to be a successful analyst. You can do the best analytics in the world, but on the front end, if you don't know how to frame the right problem, if you can't talk to the decision maker and get the right problem framed and understand really what the problem is, you might as well not have done the project. And at the back end, if you've done this great analysis and you can't communicate it to a decision maker effectively enough to get them to understand what it really means to them, it's not enough just to say, huh, the answer's three. Well, what does that mean? So if you can't communicate that to a client or to a sponsor of, of whatever research you're doing, you might as well not have done the research. So we are very focused on, yes, you're going to learn the tools, but you're also going to learn the soft skills on both ends of the project. That's going to help you be a successful, uh, data analyst.
0: That's right, Chris. Um, And I would add, as you and I were talking about before the podcast kicked off, it's not just identifying and understanding the right problem. That the, that the customer has given you and then being able to communicate your analysis at the end. But it's also sometimes sitting down with the customer and saying, well, what's your ultimate application of this analysis going to be? Because their identification of the problem may not be correct. So yeah. sometimes it's that matter of walking through with them and finding out exactly how they intend to use your analysis. And then that can help you to realize they're not asking me. They're not posing the right problem to me. If I answer this, I'm going to be answering the wrong problem. And then once that's identified, you're just going to have to do the analysis all over again. So it helps if you have that diplomacy and that ability to sit down with your consumer, whoever that is, your stakeholder, and work through exactly how they intend to use your analysis and then say, ah, Yep. So this is the real problem you want to answer and then answer that problem. I, sure. I
1: challenge every one of the students that I teach that for depending upon your timeline, of course, but for the first like couple days to a week that you have a problem, you should not actually touch a computer. You should do no coding. You should frankly do no kind of data manipulation. Your primary thing should be talking to the to the stakeholders talking to the the decision maker, figuring out where does this problem kind of rest in the whole structure of things, then sit back and say, okay, what is the problem? Because oftentimes, like we've talked about, the decision maker is focused on a symptom. They think they know the problem and that's what they're telling you. Hey, for example, we had a, a project where a bank, one of the experiential learning projects that we do. So all the students that come through the program take a, we call it a practicum. So they they vote on and select a real world project with a real world sponsor in October, and they work on it all the way until May. They present their results to the sponsor. Well, the, the bank had a question of how do we get this good type of account holder. We want more of them. So where can we find more of these types? And they had some description on what they thought a good account holder, a good kind of business partner was. And once you looked into the data, what you found was they didn't have a problem like looking for the right people. They had a retention problem and mm-hmm. they're, the, the right type of person that they wanted actually only stayed with the bank for about a year and a half. And then they left. And so the key is, well, how do we actually keep those people? And so it kind of totally changed the direction of the project. And they started looking at data revolved around why those, uh, why that class of client was actually leaving the bank and then offered the bank some good suggestions on how do you actually retain those people rather than good ideas on how to actually get them.
0: I love that vignette because it makes it so tangible to understand how easy it is to, to ask the wrong question and then put a lot of work into an, trying yeah. to answer the wrong question. A lot of times I'll talk to people who haven't done this yet. Maybe they're still in school or they're about to go to grad school and they'll say, well, you know, how, could you, how could you ask the wrong question and then do a bunch of work to answer the wrong question. It's surprisingly easy to ask the wrong question if you're not careful. And a lot of times just talking to one stakeholder isn't enough. A lot of times you need to talk to stakeholders across multiple parts of the business to find out because like you're gonna provide your analysis to one stakeholder who's then gonna secondhand give it to someone else and downstream, it's gonna get used. And that's where you find out, oh, the ultimate person that's really gonna use this, this is what they need. And it's something totally different or a variant, you know, that makes yep. a difference. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, so my background in system engineering and kind of what we're talking about is there are systems that reside within systems. And exactly. so that's why this is so interesting is because just because your decision maker has that uh, focused view on what they think the problem is, it's your job. Oftentimes the business analytics person is the first person that's actually spending their Time looking at that problem. Because most of the times, these problems are just off the critical path of whatever the decision maker is doing, whatever it's like. Ah, oh, man, this thing's always been bugging me. I need somebody to kind of take a look at this. And they have gut feelings about it, but they haven't spent time looking at the problem. What are the inputs? What are the outputs? Who touches it? You know, things like that. So they really understand what's going on with it. And so the business analytics person. It's one of the first person to actually do it. So sometimes some of the best results you can give is just your feedback on looking holistically at what the problem is. Absolutely. You know, frankly, isn't analytics at all. It's just kind of common sense, looking at things and talking to people.
0: Absolutely. So earlier I'd said we were going to go through uh, and look at your program from three different vantage points. The first one of those I'd like to take a look at as essential technical foundations. Of course, you know, that's the way I have it uh, worded in my notes here. I think you make a great point that those soft skills and the ability to communicate is probably the absolute most fundamental foundational thing that you need in order to be successful. But people uh, that go to school and and earn a master's degree in this area, they definitely want to make sure that they're going to get the technical skills they need. So I wanted to find out in terms of the programming languages use the other uh, maybe data visualization tools, the different types of modeling for machine learning. What can people expect to get uh, from a technical standpoint if they come to the MSBA there at Wake Forest?
1: Okay. So the two main tools that we use throughout the program are Excel and R. Okay. So fundamentally, you're going to walk away with a grounding in R and Excel. We don't get to VBA within Excel, but for most of the things that, that you can use a lot of functionality within Excel without getting to uh, the virtual basic coding. So we do Excel, we do R. There is a class that talks about MySQL to work databases. There is a class on Tableau that really works kind of uh visualization, those types of things, but then again, there's a semester long class of visualization, analytics, visualization. So how do I not only visualize it, not only craft a slide that's, that's effective, but how do I present the material? And then while we don't, I don't think we emphasize, you know, GitHub or repositories, they're certainly available for students because they're going to be doing enough R to be able to kind of save their coding, save their output things like
0: that. Cool. So there's definitely, there's definitely output the students will produce that if they're prudent. They can put that in GitHub and that'll yep. work. For, for anybody who's listening it hasn't tuned into a previous episode of this podcast, just know that that's definitely something that you need to do uh, as you do your R coding projects, your Python coding projects in any program, whether it's a data science boot camp or if it's a graduate program, like what we're talking about here with the MSBA at Wake Forest, because we've had data science and machine learning hiring managers come on the show, and we've had recruiters for companies that have to go out and find candidates for data science and machine learning roles come onto the show, and they've told us repeatedly that one of the biggest things they look for um, is proof that a person has the skills they say that they have, because everyone has learned the keywords now, and all the all yeah. the resumes are packed with the right keywords, but not everybody Uh, actually possesses those skills. And so they look at these GitHub profiles to be able to see, oh yeah, this is an awesome R coding project that this person has done and they really can do. They've got the chops that they claim to have in the phone screen or whatever. One of the things
1: that, that is included in the tuition at Wake Forest. Uh, have you ever heard of LinkedIn learning? I have. Yeah, absolutely. So, so LinkedIn learning is a thing. It was just recently bought by LinkedIn used to be called Lydia where it was like a more kind of faculty oriented, like if here's a little three or five minute video, if you want to give it to your students to get them to better understand how to do Excel, how to do R Python, you know, whatever. So LinkedIn learning bought Lydia has it as a premium kind of aspect of it. And they have little kind of courses set up so that if you follow these videos and they have little tests and stuff like that set up for, so like essentials of Excel, R programming, Python, things like that. If you go through and they have little tests along the way and you finish the course, it'll actually put a medallion of uh, certification on your LinkedIn profile for uh, some of these. No things. kidding. Yeah. I did so, not so, know that. That's so awesome. In addition to the GitHub, that's one of the reasons why, The Wake Forest tuition includes that LinkedIn learning profile so that you can actually do what you need to, to add those things onto your LinkedIn profile.
0: That is a fantastic tip. Thank you for sharing that. I actually didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, once you get, once you attain these skills and obviously I've got Chris here because the MSBA program at wake force would be a great way for veterans to attain these quantitative skills. You have to be able to communicate them in a way that's believable to the employers that are going to consider hiring you. And they look a lot at LinkedIn profiles. They look a lot at GitHub profiles. So making sure that those are up to snuff and that they communicate everything that you're capable of is huge. So definitely absolutely take Chris up on that tip to go out and do the LinkedIn learning and get those badges added to your profile. All right, Chris, so for the next vantage point that I wanna take a look at your MSBA from, it's the analytics and AI project management and storytelling. So uh, this goes kind of hand in hand with that fundamental communication skill that you've already talked about. In terms of specifically storytelling and taking your analysis and telling a story with it, how does uh, your program prepare students to do that?
1: So, I mean, I, I mentioned before, we have a semester long class that looks, it's called, I think it's called, it's gone through a couple different iterations, called analytics in the boardroom, that part of it talks about the visualization, how do we create good, visually appealing, but yet getting the point across sort of slides that don't distract people, things like that. But the other part of the class is how do you communicate that? And, And I'm glad you're mentioning storytelling because that's the that's the way they bring across the education is they say, there's a story here that you're saying they, they, you know, there is a beginning point, a kind of denouement and an end point. And so they kind of walk people through, how do you craft that story of whatever it is that you want to, whatever part of a- analytics that you're presenting and throughout not only that class, do they give you examples, but I mentioned before you do a practicum class that starts in october and kind of goes throughout the rest of the program and you are continually having opportunities to reach out to your sponsor to give them an in-progress review or to ask for more information or to ask for different data or things like that so you're continually having opportunities to be able to tell the story
0: absolutely so I think the true value that most people serve in an organization once they get these skills is being able to dig through the data, dig through the chaos and derive insight. And so you should be, if you're doing a good job, um, you should be pulling novel narratives out of the data. That's where your value is. You're helping people see things that they haven't seen before. But a lot of times, uh, especially if you're dealing with a stakeholder who's been in that particular business uh, or industry for 25 or 30 years, when you're delivering something novel, especially if it happens to be counter to his or her intuition you're going to need a compelling narrative because you're going to have to sell them on what you found and yeah. so that's where the skill of storytelling i think is absolutely huge because it teaches you how to take your findings and present them in a compelling way that even if someone would normally be skeptical once they hear you present it to them with like as chris said with that beginning, middle, and end, and, 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 you, and you've made it compelling, then they buy off on it. And they say, yeah, I don't know how this person got that insight from that messy data, but they're absolutely right, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to buy off on it, and we'll go in that direction with that new, that new gold nugget of information. So, Chris, the last vantage point that I want to take a look at your MSBA program's curriculum from is – data management and governance. And I bring that up just because it's not necessarily pertinent to every single job out there, but there are some, you know, the healthcare industry with the the HIPAA requirements and then certain other government roles, you know, like folks that are maybe in the intelligence community or whatever, there are compliance uh, policies and, and regulations for the data that, you know, people have to adhere to. So as far as preparing students to deal with compliance issues in the real world, you know, how does that integrate into the curriculum there at White Forest MSBA?
1: So a great question. One of the most important things that I feel strongly about analytics professionals is we need to be ethical. Because Absolutely. you've heard the stories about, you know, lies damn statistics you know you can craft a statistic to say anything you really want to and so i think it's really important for us to hold the banner of being ethical and holding to the laws policies things like that 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 are applicable not just not just for whatever job you're holding but as a person and as a human so we emphasize leadership and ethical use of analytics throughout the course. Uh, so there's at least two or three different parts, places where ethics and leadership kind of play into the, the course structure. And so I think by laying that foundation down, I think it'll make it easier for, you know, if you have an understanding that, that ethics plays a part, a fundamental part in analytics, that when you get into a place like the intelligence community or what have you that has policies around the data use and management things like that, you're more willing to abide by them because you understand that's just part of the way we do business. Is we gotta have an ethical understanding of the data we're using. Does that absolutely?
0: Sure? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's perfect. You know, people who are looking at programs like your MSBA program, they're looking to get the the skills that they need, and we're to Have wonderful, gainful employment. But then, you know, you also have to keep in mind, depending on where you end up getting employed, you want to continue to be employed. (laughs) And having those ethics in place and being willing to stick to them in certain industries is absolutely key. So uh, if you find yourself in one of those industries, make sure you're always doing the right thing as prescribed by your by your industry employer or agency. So I think, Chris, that when people are looking to take their skills to the next, next level through a graduate program, the, the first thing they look at is, you know, as we've talked about the prerequisites, can I get in? Then they look at the curriculum and they say, is it going to prepare me in the way that I want to be prepared or the way I think I need to be prepared? And then people are concerned with you know, how they learn. And that's where I think the delivery model becomes something that they are concerned about and they want to know. You mentioned already that the MSBA there at Wake Forest has multiple delivery models. So I'd love for you to take us through those and let students know what their options are for actually getting into this degree.
1: Okay. So first of all, there is a completely online MSBA program and it it covers the same timeline. So it starts in uh, late summer and goes until uh, May. So about a 10 month program. The the types of classes, the things you do are very similar to what you do if you are on ground. It's just, it's all online. And all online is, you know, there's some content online that you have to work with, but you're also meeting with the professors at least once a week, sometimes more. The on ground, if you're on ground, before COVID, Every, you know, you had two classes a week, you were meeting with your project partners off uh, campus or, or what have you, as you needed to. But it was largely uh, fully synchronous and in-person. As COVID has gone through, we've been able to go all the way up to fully remote. But right now we're kind of hovering around the hybrid where there's some asynchronous content that's on there. So for a, for a standard two time meeting class, there's some asynchronous content out there that would cover the contact time for one meeting. And then you actually meet in class once. And we try to reduce the section sizes. So there's not as many people in the classroom. Maintain the social distancing. I think what we'd like to do once we get a little bit of the herd immunity and once we get cleared up from a lot of the COVID sort of stuff, we'd love to go back to the on ground and fully synchronous and in-person variety. But right now we're, we're hovering at the hybrid.
0: Okay. Real quick on the, the fully online or the online version of the program. Other than those scheduled, like it sounded like office hours that you were describing is, is the rest of it fully asynchronous. And then also Is it, are there ever any like on-campus workshops that are required? I know some degrees require you to come for like a week or two and do a workshop, or is it, they, they, they can literally live anywhere in the country and do the online program.
1: So I think the to answer your question, I wasn't discussing office hours before. If you have a, a standard class online, you are having class in a zoom session with a professor at least once a week. If oh, you okay. wanted to okay. for the office hours, you can set that up as well. And usually done over zoom, but you will have an in-person class at okay. least once a
0: week. Okay. I'm glad I asked that to clarify. So the, yeah. the online version is not fully asynchronous. There will or be certain now. hit, no, no, hit times. Okay.
1: At least 50%, but it, there may be times where you actually have more uh, meetings in zoom than than asynchronous content.
0: Okay, perfect. So for our working professionals who are listening, make sure you have that flexibility in your professional schedule where you can hit those, those required synchronous Zoom meetings and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, And I think, I think they, they take pains to understand that people, especially if they're doing the online program, have jobs. So I haven't looked specifically at when they're scheduling the, the times are, but I, I think that they're generally reasonable to a working schedule.
0: Perfect. So the next question, as far as the coursework itself, how, what percentage of the coursework in White Forest MSBA program would you say is project-based? So to answer your question, it
1: depends. So the coursework that revolves around the tools oftentimes is is, you know, there's some tests that are involved, but a lot of times there's also projects, the uh, visualization, the analytics in the boardroom class I was talking about. It's largely coming in, giving presentations or giving like a vignette and the the rest of the students watching or, you know, videotaping it and the rest of the students having to watch it and offer feedback and, and things like that. The practicum class that starts in October and goes for the rest of the course is all basically project-based because you're working on a real world project, you're dealing with a client. So I I think that it is a mix again, going back to the fundamental of why we started the program and how it was started, is we want there to be a strong emphasis in actually doing this and applying it. So you see that in a lot of the classes as you go along.
0: Fantastic. And I think that's also key because I was talking earlier about how important hiring managers have told me these, these GitHub profiles are, if students have the opportunities to do project based work, then that means there's going to be output that they can then put in a GitHub profile and that's key. So I think that's fantastic that you are affording people the opportunity to do their coursework, a lot of their coursework in that way. So. Chris, I want to shift gears at this point because we've talked a ton about the program itself and the curriculum and the delivery model, but I feel like that's only about half of the equation because the other half of the equation is the student. You know, the student is coming into this program and each person is unique. Their learning style is unique. They have different traits and personalities. So I'm curious to know, as you've seen tons of different students come into the MSBA program there at uh, Wake Forest and probably some are just off the charts in the way that they excel and maybe others struggle a little bit. What are some ways that, or what are some traits that you see that are common earmark characteristics of those that just knock it out of the park when they come to your program?
1: So I think, the students who will succeed at Wake Forest are those that are ready to be uh, team players because I mean, fundamentally analytics is a team sport. And if, if. There are some people who are just bright students and they just love math and they just get it and they tend to do pretty well. However, I would say most students who are in the population of the MSBA program are students who are interested in getting into analytics, don't have a lot of experience in it right now, are open to learning more about it, but are also open to uh, working with each other to uh, try to understand together what we're doing. Is that is that, interesting? You know, that
0: it does? And and that I think you know again, keeping an eye on the whole point. The whole point is to come and get properly tooled and equipped for a career doing analytics, data science, whatever. And out in the real world, you're most likely not going to be stuck in a vacuum to do this work. You're going to be on an analytics team, a data science team. And you need to know how to work with other people and inspire other people for great outcomes because nobody wants to work with a narcissistic genius. (laughs) That is uh, the definition of uh, a horrible day at work when you have to go and work with somebody like that. So absolutely. I think that's a great answer. I think that that's maybe not something that a lot of people are thinking about they're they're thinking about along the lines of, oh, I need to make sure I'm locked down on my linear algebra or whatever. But there are some other really practical things just about being a decent human being and being easy to get along with that go a long way. And even if like, especially if maybe you're not the most technically savvy and you've got a long ways to go, being a, a good teammate, people are going to be more apt to want to help you and, and, and you'll, you'll make progress so much faster because they will enable you to, to learn just because they like being around you makes a huge difference.
1: I I think there's, there's a misconception that analytics people need to be those people with zero personalities and they're just, they just love being in a dark corner and just love like tapping away on their computer, but that's not the reality and and looking back at those slides and what people are looking for, they're looking for people who can communicate results, who can communicate with, with stakeholders and better define problems. Yeah, we want people who can code and we want people who can uh, apply analytics, but we want people with personalities and you know, th- that's, that's also probably a defining technique in different MSBA programs is there are MSBA programs out there that are wholly technical based and they're great. they we, like you said, we need people like that into the, into the field, but that's not Wake Forest, we're interested in the whole student. Are you, are you, yes, going to understand these techniques and how to apply them, but are you also going to understand how to communicate the results, how to elicit from decision-makers, how to work with team members?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that goes back to what you and I were talking about a second ago, Chris, about the the criticality of being able to tell a compelling story. If you're a one-dimensional monotone person, good luck with that. Your story is probably not going to be very compelling.
1: Exactly. So going back to what you were saying, that's another place that I think veterans can excel is because the military is, is all about people. Yeah, we have ships or planes or, or tanks or what have you, but it's all about people and dealing with people. And most veterans have had a lot of experience dealing with a lot of different types of people, not always successfully, not always unsuccessfully, but you had a lot of experience dealing with people. And that's another thing I think that they bring to the program and to this sport of analytics.
0: Absolutely. Well, Chris, I want to give people the most realistic yardstick possible to hold up against themselves and know, you know, is this the right fit for them? Because it's a great fit for some veterans and it's maybe, you know, not the most optimal fit for others. And and for anybody that is naturally inclined to do this type of work, I want to inspire them. I hope this podcast pushes them to take their analytics journey, their data science journey to the next level. But for maybe those that, that it's not the best fit, I'd also love it if you'd hit on a couple recurring commonalities that you see among people that come into the MSBA program and maybe they don't do so well.
1: Okay, so I think, we, we talked about overcoming math phobia and, and I think that's a real thing. And I, and I think that, that, it's out there people who are not willing to open their minds and say, okay, just because I got a math problem wrong, uh, that's not the end of the world, let me figure out how I got it wrong and let me try not to do it in future math problems, people who aren't kind of
2: flexible and who aren't willing to
1: make mistakes occasionally and learn from them probably will not succeed very well here because I mean, that's, that's the whole learning process is we're trying to get you to be fundamentally different from when you actually came in the doors. And in order to change in a fundamental way like that, you've got to make some mistakes and you've got to be prepared to learn from those mistakes. So if you're kind of in a, you know what? I just don't want to make any mistakes. And that's really important to me this may
0: not be the program for you. Yeah, that's key. I think people have to be able to fall down, stand up, knock off the dust, and have that resiliency, which I think, you know, that's that's where, again, veterans are, are tend to be a pretty good fit for this career because uh, – resiliency like they get that most of if you're a veteran it's very unlikely that you coasted through whatever duration your military career was and you never failed at anything most likely you you had some instance where things didn't pan out the way you wanted and you had to come to terms with the fact that you could have done better and then you had to make a plan of all right when i'm posed with this in the future how am i going to approach it differently so that i succeed so you just our veterans just need to take that same mindset that they had in the military and bring that to programs like the one that you have there at Wake Forest. So Chris, the next thing that I want to cover, and this is kind of the the logical conclusion, is once people take their skills to the next level through a program like yours, the thing that's on their mind is career outcomes because that's the whole point. So I'd love for you to think about the students who typically graduate from your msba program think about the three and and, you know universities tend to have draw you know they get a draw in a certain group of industries they have a strong pull in certain geographic areas so i'd love to hear about the top three geographic areas and i'm sure you have graduates that go all over the world but the top three geographic areas that people tend to gravitate to once they graduate and the top three industries where your graduates generally most tend to find themselves?
1: Okay. So the, the, the geographic areas are largely uh, North Carolina based. There's a, a bunch of hiring here in the winston Winston-Salem area. But then also in the east coast, south east coast kind of region, Georgia, Florida, those sorts of places, but then also up in New York, I mean, because you know, there's, there's a fair amount of analytics. In and around the, the, the New York area. So I mean if I were gonna kind of characterize it, those were those would be the the main places. Although like you said, I would hesitate to call those the top three because we have people going literally all over.
0: Sure, sure. And then as far as the top three industries?
1: Largely it's uh, consulting. So people companies that do analytics consulting for other places or it's industry, people who have a business analytics sort of job within
2: an industry. This is the headquarters for like Haynes
1: and like a couple other businesses. So th- those, those are kind of the top two. Don't see too many in government. Occasionally you'll see one or two going into sports analytics, which is a kind of neat little field
0: yeah absolutely okay so let's go with what you what you told us there so the main geographic area being the southeastern united states and then the number one industry being consulting so let's take three different students one student no career experience they've they've done a bachelor's degree and then they rolled straight into your msba program and then let's take student number two their early careers they've 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 They did their bachelor's, they went out and got one to five or six years of industry experience, and then they did your MSBA program. And then a third person, mid to late career, maybe they did a bachelor's degree back in the 90s, and then they felt like, you know, to take their career to the the next level, they needed to go back and get a master's degree, and they picked the MSBA. For each of those three hypothetical students... They're in the Southeast, that that's where they end up getting a job and it's in consulting since those are the most typical outcomes. What can each of those three hypothetical students expect generally in terms of salary once they get out of your program?
1: Okay. So, you know, general bands of salary, I, I think frankly, between 70 and 80 K, maybe some 90 K's in there. But that's, that's generally the band and frankly, I, I, we don't see too many mid to late career experience people in the program. Most of the people in the program are either no career experience and then maybe there, there's a couple, maybe a third have early career experience and the one to six years is not as much, it's more like one to three years. So okay. that's our typical population of students so between 70 and 80k is kind of a good
0: salary type i would say but sure. it
1: also depends on the geographic area
0: oh yeah absolutely cost of living makes a huge difference if, yeah. if you do have a student that ends up going to anywhere around like say silicon valley or new york city naturally the 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 salaries are going to be radically different just so that they can afford a house or an apartment or whatever yeah. So at this point, I do want to ask you one question. I haven't asked any anyone associated with any prior college or university that's come on the show, and that is, you know, I believe when people hear master of science and business analytics, their mind naturally goes to, okay. So people will go on to become business analysts or data analysts, but I would suspect you've had students graduate from your MSBA program and land in some other really interesting roles. And so I just wanted to throw out there and see, do you have any vignettes about students that have gone on to do uh, other things that aren't necessarily just business analyst or data analyst?
1: So uh, there's, there's actually like a little subset. It's, it's interesting. There's a subset of people who take the master's of science in management degree. And then go directly into the MSBA program. And usually those types of people are people who are then about to spin off into a
2: PA physician's assistant
1: sort of program, because what, what they realize, which is fascinating. I had never even thought about it, but you know, seeing what they do, it, it makes sense, is they want to know the business end of having a physician's assistant practice. And know how to better understand their business and deal with the data of it before they go through the practice of of being a physician assistant. So that by the time they get out, they're ready to actually start a practice or get to a practice and improve it or something like that. So there's actually a little small about 10, uh, 10 or so
0: students, a, a, a group who do that transition. That's fascinating. I had no idea. I'm so glad I asked you that question. I didn't I didn't realize there was a niche of people that were pursuing yeah. analytics for that purpose. That's fantastic. Okay, so, you know, data science, analytics, machine learning, these fields are evolving all the time. And as I mentioned, it's totally plausible that there are people that will come across this episode two, three, four years from now. So within the foreseeable future, say the next three years, what changes do you envision that will likely happen to Wake Forest MSBA program as it seeks to remain in step with industry? So we have a board
1: of advisors that that we meet with habitually, I mean, throughout the year. And they are largely local, but people who are in industry essentially our clients. So the people who hire the people that we graduate. So we keep in touch with them throughout the year to figure out what is happening with them, what's interesting for them. They're some of the main people that give us practicum projects so that, uh, again, you're working on a real world client, but you might also be working for one of the biggest hires out of our program and they get a chance to kind of Take a look at some prospective students that are getting ready to graduate to see if they want to hire them. So I, I'd like to say that one of the good things about our program is that we will continue to remain flexible. We started off focusing on what industry is interested in and what do they want in business analytics professionals. And I think that we will continue to keep that. I think the things that will remain are going to be the communication skills and the soft skills that we teach in the program. The techniques and the platforms we've explored looking at Python in the program. Python is a great tool. The thing is it's like a Swiss army knife and there's a lot of different things you can do with Python. Whereas R is focused on analytics. And so. We're we're keeping with our we have an eye on Python or other types of coding platforms to see what might also be available. So I mean we're we're just keeping our our finger on the pulse of what industry wants and letting that sure, shape. Sure, absolutely. Program.
0: Yeah, and that that that's perfect because that's what students are going to want. They're going to want to make sure that when they graduate that they've got the skills that that industry is looking for. So that's awesome that you guys have a panel of folks who are not just telling you what they need, but then also I heard you say providing capstone projects. So then is it, is it safe to assume? And I, I, that's a question I should probably start asking. When, when students do a capstone project, is it always real world data supporting a real client? Cause if so, that's fantastic.
1: The, the, the practicum class that they start in October and go all the way through in May are all with real world clients. They've, They've worked with banks here in Winston-Salem, with Hanes brand, with
2: a local Ace Hardware branch, the
1: Second Harvest Food Kitchen. There's all sorts of different industries or people that that's part of one of the things that we do as faculty is go on out into the, the area here and try to drum up interest in giving us participating in projects. Uh, So yeah, they're all real-world projects and they're all for real-world clients in that practical- Awesome,
0: awesome. So for anyone listening to this podcast that ends up deciding that Wake Forest MSBA program is for them, you've heard Chris say, there's quite a bit of project-based work. That's stuff you can put in your GitHub profile. We now know that there's a capstone, a real-world capstone project supporting a real client that would be another fantastic thing to put in your GitHub profile to, to show to future hiring managers. But then also, it's not just some contrived capstone project with you know an overused data set or whatever. This is going to be real world, messy data that solves a real problem for a real business. And I think that that's invaluable. You need to have one kind of real practice run, if you will, uh, before you're before someone's paying you to do it. So I think yeah. that's fantastic. So let's say that someone is listening to this and they say, I'm sold. Wake Forest program, you know, is the program for me for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe the fact that you guys offer it online, but they can have re- synchronous interaction with the professor. I think that's maybe a unique component that you've described for your program that the other programs that, we, that have come onto the show don't have. Because some people need that in person ability to ask questions or whatever in real time. But then maybe they're not right there in Winston-Salem, so they need the online component. So whatever it is, something about your program has appealed to them and they say, that's where I'm going to go and they start applying and they, you know, things are going well with the admissions committee and they want to make sure that they're best prepared to come into your program and succeed. What are things that you recommend students do so that they come in ready to hit the ground running on day one of the program?
1: So, I mean, something we already talked about, if they're not feeling too strong on probability and statistics, since it's such a fundamental element of what we deal with, it would be nice to, to try to knock out a Coursera probability and statistics uh, class. It'll get you in the practice of doing schoolwork, of doing assignments, of, you know, doing some stuff. However, if you don't. I don't think that would disadvantage you at all, because bottom line is, uh, like I said, you're going to be off like a scalded dog, and you're going to feel like you just took a drink from a fire hose in that first summer, but that's okay, because you're going through it with 113 of your best friends as well, and it is what it is. I, I think there's there's not much you can do to prepare yourself within like a month or two, I really want to, what have you. We're going to teach you what you need to know. So so if it were me, I would just say, enjoy your time. Enjoy the summer because once the time, once the program starts, you are going to be hoofing. And it's going to be tough, uh, but it's manageable.
0: Well, as listeners of this podcast know, I did an MSBA program. It wasn't the one at Wake Forest. But it sounds like your program is every bit as rigorous as the one that I did. And so I would recommend to anybody who's listening and, and, you know, is about to do your program, prepare to work, prepare to work hard. I tell people that I, 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 that my program was 18 months long. And for that 18 months, I did nothing. I was a working professional, so I did go to work but the rest of my life was just eating sleeping and living that program that's just what i had to do in order to succeed wrapping up chris there are a few last questions i want to ask you and that's because our audience has they they have an insatiable appetite to learn and to build their skill set and so the first thing is as they try to map out their future learning whether it's through moocs or through academic programs or whatever a certain point of that is geared towards making sure that they're targeting the right skills. So which data science and machine learning technologies get you excited today for the future? So I guess,
1: I guess it depends. I notice that there are a lot of technologies that are reaching out to the common person saying, "Oh, you can do this now." If you look in Excel, you know you can create pivot tables, you can do all this. You can be a data analyst. the The fundamental untruth to that is, yes, you can take numbers and you can manipulate them and make them say whatever you want to, but are you actually getting the results you think you're getting? So, I'm really interested in in, Data mining, I'm interested in decision analysis. Those are the two big things that I really, that excite me and I love doing those projects, but fundamentally it's understanding the assumptions that go into the models and that go into the the techniques that you're using to better understand whether you should use this approach or this approach or this approach, and not just doing something just because you can. So. I mean, I guess the short answer to your question is data science and uh, data, data mining, both structured and unstructured data mining. I am really interested in, but then also decision analysis.
2: Very cool.
1: I I like to, uh, even though there are all these neat little tools that are reaching out to the populace saying you can be a data scientist. Eh, it's, it's not like that. Yeah, you can move numbers around, but. You can't really draw that insight from data and and have it be reliable and uh, scientific unless you really kind of know what you're doing. I mean, everybody everybody looks. Well, I mean, once you start getting into probability and statistics, you'll see there are all these different names for tests to, to determine statistical significance. And you think, well, what the hell? It's just statistical significance. Is some result statistically significant? Well, the reasons why there are all sorts of different tests are because the underlying assumptions for those tests are different amongst each other. And you've gotta understand that and you've gotta understand what those underlying assumptions are to be able to use that test or another one. And yeah,
0: so. Absolutely. Well, so kind of springboarding off that, what are your favorite data-related podcasts or books and bonus points if they, would help people to learn about th- those specific areas that you said you're interested in well, so, so
1: the specific areas, I might not get bonus points. I, I might not, I may not talk to the specific points, but going back to the curriculum, you know, do they better understand, do, do you better understand the world and can you communicate the results? I really like, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's, um, revisionist history podcast where sometimes he uses data, but sometimes he's not, he's just going back into historical records and he's finding things. I mean, I guess that is data, uh, but he's not doing any kind of analytics aside from just thinking about things. And his books tend to be really well done in terms of taking arcane analytic techniques and tells you how they came about, tells you about them so that you just better understand them. So I like Malcolm Gladwell.
0: Very cool. I have not come across that one myself. I can't wait to tune into it. And I'm sure that our listeners will um, enjoy that because that sounds very interesting. So, I can think of a, a whole laundry list of reasons why people want to reach out to you. They they want to talk to you more about the MSBA program, something you said has inspired them. Maybe they have a background that they feel like they can relate to you and, and the path that you took through the Army. Or you know maybe they just have some other question that they feel like after listening that you'd be the right person to reach out to. I've got your email address here on the screen. Are there any other ways that you'd like for people to get in touch with you? Is there a way that's better than email even?
1: You know, uh, email is the best way. I, okay. I have email on my phone. I kind of see it almost every day. It's how the students contact me. So that's, that would be the best way to, uh, to reach me is using the email that you have up there on the screen.
0: Awesome. Well. Chris, you know I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you about Wake Forest and SBA program. I think it's a fantastic entry point for people who are veterans to get into analytics, data science, and maybe even go into machine learning. And I couldn't be more grateful for you coming on the show. Thank you so much for your time and this conversation.
1: Hey, thanks a lot for your time.
0: Thank you for joining in on this conversation with Dr. Chris Smith. As always, until the next episode, I bid you clean data, low p-values and Godspeed on your data journey.
2: The Data Canteen. Listen, grow, thrive.